Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800 247 3051. 800 247 3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Saul thought that God was going to say, oh, quick, Saul, go after the people. You know, don't let them go away from you. What's the matter with you? Don't you understand that I'm restrained? Unless you have a lot of people with you, quick, Saul, go gather them back. Say, don't, don't go. Because, Saul, don't you understand? I, as God, am limited, and I can't save you unless you've got a lot of people to support you. See, that's what, the, that's what, that's what Saul thought. Saul thought that God was saying, saying, you know, Saul, you're in a lot of trouble now because you've got all these people are going away from you. That was Saul's thinking way. And that kind of thinking way, that kind of thinking does not really believe in the power of God. It doesn't believe in the power of God to deliver. That kind of thinking is unbelief. That kind of thinking is the Hebrews 3.10, evil heart of unbelief. That thinking way is a 1 Samuel 2.22, wicked departure from God. That kind of thinking way is what Isaiah 2.22 says, cease ye, stop already. It was that kind of thinking that caused God to say to Saul in this passage in 1 Samuel 13.13 that Saul, you did foolishly. It was that kind of thinking that caused Saul to lose the kingdom in 1 Samuel 13.14, which we've been reading. It's that kind of thinking way that caused God to say in 1 Samuel 13, 14, that I'm done with you, Saul, that God was done with Saul as king, and God was going to search for a new king. It was that kind of thinking way that caused God to open up a requisition for a replacement for Saul with a job description that read with the words of 1 Samuel 13, 14, new job opening. God is looking for a man after his own heart. That's how God's new job opening read. Searching for a man after God's own heart. And yet there was still time for Saul to keep his job. If he would just do one thing, repent. That's all he had to do. And God gave Saul a son named Jonathan who showed Saul what you got to do. He showed him the kind of thinking way that he needed to have. That it was his own son which was to forget about all those people who've just left you and just see them as the arm of flesh. All you got to do is treasure the arm of God. And that's all you need for deliverance, Saul. And Saul said that when I don't see Samuel come on the expected day, that drives me crazy. And so he took matters into his own hand. It stressed Saul out because Samuel didn't come at the expected time. Saul expected Samuel to come when he said he was going to come. And so really, Saul was giving God a time for him to work. And God didn't work at that time, and that stressed Saul out. And so Saul says, I'm going to take matters in my own hands. 
God was good to not have Samuel come on time because Saul had a problem. And that problem was P-R-I-D-E. And Saul had told everyone, you know what, everybody? Don't worry. Seven days, Samuel's coming. We're going to have burnt offerings and peace offerings. They're going to be made. We're going to prevail over the Philistines seven days. And, um, and he knew what the people were thinking. People were thinking, well, King Saul, you asked us to have confidence in you. And you said that in seven days, Samuel the prophet's going to come to make offerings. Well, you were wrong because Samuel didn't come. Samuel's not coming and we're leaving. That was very humiliating for Saul. And God does things to humiliate us. God's good at that. He likes to do that because he doesn't like pride. Because humiliation is God's remedy for the disease of pride. And when Samuel did not come at the set time, that was humiliating for Saul. Saul had planned for Samuel to come at that time. Saul had told everybody Samuel's going to come at that time. And sometimes God does not work according to our timetable. And God may not work according to our timetable. And we may think God is late. God's never late. He's never late. To wait on the Lord is to submit to work on God's timetable, not our own. To not wait on the Lord and take matters into our own hands is to work on our timetable. And then Saul saw the Philistines. They saw he was gathering themselves together for the battle. And when Saul saw that, he saw the Philistines trusting in their own arm of flesh. And Saul did not see the arm of God. You know, whenever a person doesn't wait on God and takes matters into his own hands, it's not easy. It just doesn't feel right. It's bothersome. And that's what he's saying here. Saul, he's saying, man, I feel like I'm caught here between a rock and a hard place. This is really tough for me. It's really hard for me to make this decision just to wait on God or to take the bull by the horns. And you would have thought that Saul would have felt good about his decision. Finally, he's made a decision. Could have felt good about the action he took. He didn't. And Saul felt horrible afterwards because he knew that he should have waited for God. And even as he was making the offerings, It wasn't easy for Saul. As he said, I forced myself, therefore. Why did he force himself? What was he forcing himself against? Because God was convicting his spirit as he was in the process of the actual sin. God was saying, don't do it, Saul. Don't do it, Saul. Here's some more shame for you. Here's some more guilt for you. Big dumb truck of shame and guilt falls on Saul. But he pushes himself forward in the sin. And what was so hypocritical was that he was offering the offering for the whole burnt offering which is the offering of dedication to God. So with the whole burnt offering, the person is saying to God that I am wholly dedicated to you to obey you, God. See, with the whole burnt offering, the person is saying, I am 100% surrendered to you to accept your will. See, by taking this place of the priest and making the offering, Saul, this offering of dedication, complete surrender, and he's showing in no way is he dedicated to God. In no way is he all completely surrendered to God, which made the offering that he was offering a sham. It made it a mockery. And we look at Saul and see how angry that God became. Because now Saul here, and he took the kingdom away because of it. It makes us think twice before we sing a hymn like, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed master, I surrender all. And God says, is that true? The whole burnt offering you're offering there? So, This is what Ruth had gained the victory over, this problem of worry. And as we've seen for Ruth that her confidence 
that she was going to go find this gracious landowner that showed Ruth that was going to give her the grain. Ruth was not worried about finding food. She was diligent in finding food, but she wasn't worried. And as Ruth set out that day with great diligence to find food, we can see that Ruth was confident God is going to provide food for me and Naomi. By keeping herself from worrying about food, she was free to hear God. And that's what she heard as she listened to Boaz. She heard God speak through Boaz. And she was free to hear God. And this is what the Lord Jesus Christ was meaning when he was faced with the worry over food. And he replied to the devil in the wilderness in the words of Deuteronomy 8.3. He answered and said, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. See, when the Lord Jesus Christ said those words, he was setting up this preoccupation I mean, a preoccupation with food on this hand or preoccupation with hearing God. And when he said those words, the Lord Jesus Christ had set food on one side and preoccupation with food on that side, which can be in the form, like you said, of an overeating preoccupation or whatever, uh, undereating. And on the other side, he put hearing God. And he said, living by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And having put those two preoccupations, food and what you shall eat, and hearing God, he said, take no thought. This side, take no thought for what you shall eat. Because a preoccupation with food or thinking about nothing else other than food can block a person from hearing God. And hearing God is the highest pursuit in life. You can't have a higher quest in life than to hear God. To hear God through God's revelation that we are, right now we're holding in our hands. It's God's revelation to hear him. To hear God through his wonderful creation. We just sung about that. To hear God through others as she did. And a preoccupation with food can block from all that. As Paul said, the the preoccupation with food is the enemies of the cross. It says in Philippians 3, 18 through 19, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and their glory is their shame who mind earthly things. There's another worry that destroys a person's life and it's the worry about clothes. And he says, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, nor for your body, what you shall put on. Is that the life more than meat, body than raiment? You know, in Ethiopia, I was telling you, in the city of Budajir, it's about, about 15 miles from where Scandibodies is, is a Christian uh, mission compound called Project Mercy. And Georgetown Country Day School in Washington, D.C., which has students from very rich families, they send their students there to volunteer. And the director, Marta Gabrzadik, she told me one time about one boy from a wealthy family, and he refused to work. And when he arrived at Project Mercy... He just sat down on the step all day long and with his iPod. And they wanted him to teach English to the Ethiopian children, but no, he didn't want to do that. He'd, he'd rather sit there. So Marta was very frustrated. She sat down with him on the step there. And she said to him, she said, I want you to look at these children and compare yourself to, to, compare, compare yourself to them. Every morning, you get up and you open your closet and you worry about what you're going to wear for the day. But each one of these Ethiopian children here, they don't do that because they're wearing all the clothes they own. So she told him. And when Martha said that, it changed that boy for life. 
He not only put his iPod away and dove into teaching those children English, but what Martha said so changed his life, he never forgot it. He returned to the States. He's now in medical school at Georgetown University. He's preparing to become a doctor and return to Ethiopia. Why? Because Martha rebuked him for worrying about his clothes. And the Lord said, take no thought for what you shall put on. Is not the life more than me and the body than raiment? Why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, they just don't spin. I say unto you, even Solomon, all his glory, wasn't arrayed like one of these. Life is not in food. Life is not in clothes. There's another destructive worry. And the Lord referred to it when he said, therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. And what did the Lord mean when he said that? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to a stature? Now, on the surface, it appears that he's talking about worrying about if you're short. You know, you want to be taller. But the Greek word for stature, helikia, it means age or number of days. Cubit can refer to a length of time as well. So what he could be saying here is that why are you worried about how many days you'll have in your life? You know, last year I spoke to a founder of an organization that makes supplements, and he's got a magazine, and it's all dedicated to the name of his company and the name of the magazine, Life Extension. And think of all the magazines that deal with the subject of health and living a longer life. It goes right along with what the Lord said, take therefore no thought for the morrow. See, all these verses are referring to the destructive worry about health. This worry takes the form of, shall I eat this or not? I remember going to dinner one time with a customer and his wife, and we went to a fish restaurant. And when she was handed the menu, she reached in her purse but she had cards in there. She said, well, this is bad to eat. I can't eat this. You know, I was like, you know, I said, well, so, you know, why bring a menu? You know, if you eat this, it's going to put solid fat in your arteries. If you eat that, it's going to put mercury in your brain. So, <laughs> See, worrying about food can take the form of overoccupation. Overoccupation, or it could be overoccupation with exercise. Now, I'm going to exercise all this. I'm going to exercise so much, I'm going to exercise that old age right out the window. You know, I'm going to get on this treadmill. I'm going to outrun my old age. And people worry about that. They worry about how to avoid cancer and certain diseases. They're about having a heart attack or having a stroke or having an ulcer. They got an ulcer worrying about having an ulcer. People worry so much about health, they don't thank God for the health they have. You know, I appreciate how every time a prayer meeting on Wednesday night, Scott Ramo prays, he says, you know, I thank God for our health. Destructive worry takes the form of worrying about food and clothes and health and one more worry, and that's about the future. And the Lord addressed that when he said, take no thought for the morrow. He's not saying we shouldn't provide for the future, but he's saying don't be over-anxious about it. Don't be stressed out about it. Don't worry. Don't let it become a destructive worry. Don't let it become a corrosion on your soul. See, to worry about the future is to fail to enjoy the present. Worry about the future is to take the strength that God gives for today and spend it worrying about the sorrows for tomorrow, which may never come. You know, I love the saying, why pray when you can worry? (laughs) There are so many destructive worries. Destructive worries over food, destructive worries over clothing, destructive worries over health, destructive worries over the future. We ask the question, is there a simple cure for all these worries? And there is. And the simple one remedy for all these worries is found in 
five simple words in Matthew 6.30. O ye of little faith. Faith in God is the remedy for all worries. Faith in God's provision for food. As he said, your heavenly father feedeth in Matthew 6.26. Faith in God's provision for clothes. As he said in Matthew 6.30, God so clothed. Faith in God's knowledge of our needs, as he said in, in verse 32, your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of. What a wonderful meditation today to get alone and just think of those words in Matthew 6.32, your heavenly Father knoweth. Just to, just to get alone with God and just you know, go to the garden alone, just to think your heavenly Father knoweth, to meditate how our heavenly Father sees everything in our lives and knows everything in our lives. How wonderful to pick a day this week and just write on a piece of paper and write on it, Matthew 6.32, your heavenly Father knoweth, and put it somewhere where you're gonna see it every day. Like Clint says, hold it over your head if you want to. What are you saying? <laughs> maybe the kitchen sink, maybe the refrigerator, maybe the dresser, maybe the bathroom sink. You know? I have six bird feeders at home. I love to watch goldfinches and sparrows eat. And I watch those feeders every day. And I watch the rate at which they're eating. And I plan out when I have to refill them. I had a big debate with myself. Should I fill that feeder before I go to this memorial service or after? And because I don't want them to run out of food. My little sparrows are all piled up on there. They're on top of the feeder. They're fighting with each other. I said, boy, it looks like church. You know, and <laughs> there's a banister there. They're all piled up there waiting to jump on the next one, you know. And, and you know what? Those birds don't worry about having food in those feeders. I never seen a bird sitting there staring at the hopper and worrying. It's only half full. What's going to happen if it runs out? They don't do that. I do that. <laughs> and the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 6, 26, Behold the fowls of the air. They sow not, neither do they reap, nor they gather in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Your heavenly Father worries about that. See, and if I saw a bird doing that, worrying about that the feeder's going to run out, I'd go out to that bird. I'd have talk with him. I'd say, now look, only one of us is going to worry about this. So since I'm doing that worrying for you, why don't you take a vacation from your worries <laughs> and just enjoy the seed that I put out there for you? Because I would say to the birds, I'd say, listen, from my windows, I can see these feeders. I look at them all throughout the day, and I know about your needs, and I know all about your future. Don't worry. I've ordered enough seed. It's going to come here from Amazon. You can go around and see the Amazon truck coming. See, in the same way, God would say to us, I know all about your needs. I know all about your food needs, your clothing needs, your health needs, your future needs, and I'm going to provide for you. In the wilderness of Sinai, when they were about to invade this enemy land, how are they going to do this? You know, they haven't exactly been having war exercises out there for 40 years. And all of a sudden, they're going to go in there and they're going to conquer all these people. And the Jewish people are saying, how are we going to have the strength to do that? How are we going to have the strength to do that? And God spoke right to that question when he said in Deuteronomy 33, 25, as thy days, so shall thy strength be. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. When the day comes with a great challenge and you will need the strength for that day, you will have the strength for that day. As thy days, so shall thy strength be. See? Because the worry comes and is described in Psalm 10.4. The wicked 
through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Why? The pride of his confidence. What? God is not in all his thoughts. God is not in all his thoughts because of pride. To the measure that God is in all of our thoughts, to that measure we will be free from worry. That was the basis for Ruth's confidence and lack of worry. Ruth trusted God because she knew that God knows that we have need of food. Ruth trusted God that would lead her to a gracious landowner. And God was in all Ruth's thoughts. God was in all Ruth's thoughts. So God did not have to say to Ruth, oh, ye of little faith. He never said that. Never could never see that. Why don't you trust in God who knows? He never had to say that because God would not say to Ruth, oh, ye of little faith. Why don't you trust God who feeds and clothes and gives? As it says in Psalm 84, 11, the Lord is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold to them that walk up rightly. And David said, Psalm 37, 25, I've been young and now I'm old. Yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen his seed begging bread. Romans 8, 32, Paul says, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up from us all, how exactly shall he not with him also freely give us all things? 1 Timothy 6, 17, the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Psalm 107, 9, for he satisfieth the longing soul, he filleth the hungry soul with goodness. Our God is the God of the open hand. He opens his hand, he feeds us, he gives us, he satisfies us, he spares not. The bags of bird food seed I have, just a little bit more than the hopper can fill, I just pour it all in, the seed falls off, I don't care. No, our God's that way. Because I watch, and I know about, and I care for making sure those bird feeders do not run out. It's unnecessary for the birds to worry. God watches us. He knows for us. It's unnecessary for us to worry because I make sure those bird feeders, they don't run out because it would be offensive to me to see a bird worrying about the feeders that are gonna go empty. I'd say, what, you think I can't see? And so God says, what, you think I can't see? Because God makes sure that we are provided for. It's offensive to God when we worry. So what we've seen is this universal remedy for worry, which is to have faith in God. But there's an activity that removes worry and it's given to us in Matthew 6.33 where he says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All those things shall be added unto you. That's just chump change for God. What did the Lord mean when he said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? To seek the kingdom of God is to seek God to reign as king in our lives. This means, king of my life, I crown thee now, thine shall the glory be. God must be enthroned and self must be dethroned. God must be exalted and self must be diminished. Faith must be welcomed and fear must be rejected. The righteousness of God in our lives, the most important word in the activity removes worry is the word first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Simply put, God first. That's the plaque that several of us at Scanabodies have on our desk the Lord Jesus Christ first. Because we got a lot of things to worry about at work. And so to have victory over worry in our lives, in order to keep us into a life free of worry, God is saying to us, make God first in your life. Make him Lord. Seek by his power and his presence 
to live in a holy life of righteousness. Praise him for his provision. Matthew 6.33, all these things shall be added unto you. Praise him. Trust him for his knowledge. He knows that we have got our needs. Trust him for his provision. Then we'll be like Ruth and like Esther. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for helping us to have a life free of worry. We thank you, Lord, that you do know, you do provide, you do care. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.